So back in the year 2000, I was a, a young Marine and I was on a deployment in the Mediterranean Ocean and we went to all these different countries and I had grown up in a suburb of LA so I was used to, to different people and, and larger cities but this trip was unique. I was exposed to different areas, different countries, different types of people, different foods, different smells, different architecture. And when I came back, my world just was bigger. Things just seemed bigger, and the world seemed bigger. And today we start a new sermon series called The Heart of Worship. And we are going to begin this journey in the Psalms. And the Psalms are God's hymn book that speaks to us through this vivid poetry and imagery. And they give us this encounter, this heart-to-heart -heart encounter with God. And they give us this, this bigger picture of God that results in this passionate praise, petition, and worship. And as Christians, we are called to live a life of worship. Praying, praising, and celebrating God with our whole heart in every context and every situation. We're called to be living and breathing poems as we view and gaze upon the vastness of God. And as we engage in the Psalms this summer, there's going to be this, this convergence between heaven and earth, and it's going to come crashing together in a very personal way. And so our focus this summer will not be necessarily on the technical nuances of the Psalms, although we will encounter some. Instead, it's going to be focused on the heart-to-heart the -heart relationship with God and, and seeing God bigger, smelling God, seeing God, tasting God. And our focus will be on plumbing the depths of the heart of God. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 1 and 2. And that might seem a little strange that we're going to look at two psalms this morning, but the Psalms are actually five separate books that have been compiled into one large book for us in our modern Bible. But Psalm 1 and 2 stand apart. They are the introductory Psalms for the rest of the book of Psalms. And so we're going to look at them. And today what I want to do is I want to look at five aspects of what a heart of worship looks like so that we can prepare to engage God with our senses, with our emotions, and develop this capacity to see God in this multi-dimensional way that perhaps you've yet to encounter Him on. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we come to you right now when we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us, teach us the things that we don't, do not know. We are in for some deep waters, Father, and I pray that you would give us the eyes to see, that you would enlarge in our view of who you are, that we would encounter you with our whole being. So be with us, allow us, give us the capacity to do that, so that we can worship you in truth and spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing we see is a heart of worship delights in God's word. And God has given us his word. He has revealed himself in his word. We see a heart of worship finds pleasure in God's prescription for life. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or takes a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight, whose satisfaction, whose pleasure 
is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates, who, who ponders, who mutters. It actually means mutters, speaks out loud on his law day and night. And you see that here God is juxtaposing two things. Standing, sitting, having this intimacy with mockers and scoffers of God. And he juxtaposes that to having pleasure and delight in his prescription, his word. And oftentimes when I speak to people in and outside of the church as pertains to the Bible, people will say, you know what I think? This verse means this to me, or, or this is what I think. And I say this out of love, friends. It does not matter what we think. It matters what God says. And He's revealed to us what He says. He is the Creator, and we are the creation. Called to be living sacrifices of, 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 of obedience, just offering ourselves up on the altar of obedience. And here's the thing. We hate that word obedience. We hate it. Because it's obedience. But here's the thing. When we obey God, when we follow His prescription for life, we feel something. We feel the satisfaction because we're doing what we were created to do. We're worshiping Him in truth and spirit by following what He has prescribed for us to do. And we find pleasure in Him and He finds pleasure in us. It's a beautiful thing. And we bring Him glory. See, God's Word is always relevant. People try to push God's Word saying it's old, it doesn't make any sense, and they try to conjole it and, and make it something that it's not. God's Word was relevant, it's always been relevant, and it will always be relevant. And it's more relevant today than it's ever been. And we worship by continually bringing God into the picture and what He has to say on the situation. The heart is a deceitful thing. Who could understand it? Only God can. And we see that when we do this, when we prescribe to God's prescription, the story of Scripture moves from our head into our hearts and we become part of it. And what's the result of this? We worship. We worship God. We also see verse 3, that a person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. When I was in Israel on this trip, we are in these vast desert wastelands. Yet in the midst of the desert, there was these, these, these trees, these flourishing trees, greener than green in the arid desert sun. Because why? Because they had these roots. They had these deep roots that would tap into these underwater uh, streams. And we're called to have deep roots in God's Word. We're called to transcend the normal circumstances in the world through God's transcendent Word. But that requires deep roots. Secondly, we see that a heart of worship delights in the Word, Jesus Christ. This, we read, whatever they do prospers or, or makes steady progress. You see, the Psalms draw us into a, a biblical story that culminates in Jesus. Getting to the heart of worship is getting to the heart of Christ. And you become like what you worship. 
And when you worship the God of the Bible, you prosper because you become like His Son. Because you're conformed to the image of His Son. Because everything is about Jesus. Every psalm is about Jesus. Every psalm, when you read the psalms, see Jesus because He's in every single one of them. So the question I have is, how do you engage in His Word? Do you just not engage at all? Because it's just too hard. Is it a three-minute devotional? Is it a little pick-me-up, a little snack? I'm going to encourage you. Some of you don't know how to read your Bible. You're saying, I want to, but I don't know how. Well, tonight we're starting a How to Read the Bible small group in Andover. What time does that start, Tim? 6.30 in Andover in the lower hall. If you have, want to know more about it, Dan Murphy and Tim Pierce, talk to them. We also have other small groups this summer. First of all, the love small groups. We're connecting with God, heart to heart with one another by being fed by His Word. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we see a heart of worship, trust in God's justice. God is a just and perfect God. We read, and we see that a heart of worship stands in awe of God's righteous justice. Verse 4 says, Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. God is perfectly just, and justice will be served. It's a guarantee. And only those who are righteous will stand in the great assembly before the throne of God, praising and worshiping Him at the end times. But those that are wicked will not stand in the judgment of God. And as I traveled to all these different countries, around 30 or so of them, I saw these injustices, these gross injustices that were happening. And we see it too in our daily life. We see these things that are happening that are just not right. So what do we do about it? How do we respond? Well, we worship. We worship. We worship by waiting. Waiting on God's timing. By crying out to Him. You see, God hears. The worst thing, and I can understand this, is when we cry out to God, and it's like He doesn't answer us. But he's listening. He's listening. We get ourselves into trouble and we just stop crying out. So we cry out to God. And we trust in God's timing. And we worship as everyday people of God. How do we do this? So we do nothing? Is that what you're saying? We do nothing? No, we do something. After we wait and we trust God, as everyday people of God, we, we administer God's justice and bring God into the picture where He has given us uh, delegated parameters, social spheres or cultural moments. You see, God has placed each and every one of us in a place for ministry where we're called to bring God into the picture and administer God's justice. But it's been delegated to us. We do not have the ultimate authority. And here's the thing, when we do that, when we bring God in the picture and we stand firm and we bring God's justice here on this earth, there's consequences for that. You need to be prepared for that. There's consequences for that because we're coming right up against the cultural stream of the day, against the world system. 
So we're called to do something. Wait, trust, cry out, and bring God into the picture of our everyday where he has placed us. We also see a heart of worship, trust in the righteous Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, for the Lord watches over. I love that phrase, for the Lord watches over. It means the Lord has intimate knowledge. Watches over, he has intimate knowledge. The way of the righteous. He knows the righteous. He knows them so well. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God is so transcendent in his justice. He's just so just. Yet he is so close to us. And the pinnacle of that closest was shown in Jesus Christ. You see, this is the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, we are all the wicked. And we deserve God's judgment. We cannot stand before God and judge it. Judgments. Because he's just. And God holds his wrath and his love in perfect tension because he's the perfect God. He's the only one that could do that. And what does he do? He comes down, clothed in human flesh. The eternal son, the righteous son, comes down and lives a perfect life. He enters into our suffering, our experience. And he lives a perfect and righteous life. And then he's nailed to a cross. He's nailed to a cross and he feels the wrath of the Father. The first time that the eternal Son, the righteous one, has ever felt sin and felt the wrath of the Father. Why? For us. But he's resurrected three days later. And the Father accepts that sacrifice. And here's the thing. When he put our faith and trust in him, yes, our sins are wiped away clear. But here's the thing. Only righteous people go to heaven. Only righteous people go to heaven. Just because our sins are wiped out doesn't mean we're righteous. But here's the good news. Christ's righteousness is given to us. It's imputed to us on our, for our accounts. And so we can stand before God and praise Him and praise Him. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's why we praise. It's because of the righteous one. The righteous one in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. Yes. Praise Him. So that's the second thing. The third thing. A heart of worship lives in the reality of God's sovereignty. God is the sovereign king. He is sovereign over all. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. And we see a heart of worship submits to God's authority. God's in charge. So we saw Psalm 1. It's very individualistic. And we transfer into Psalm 2, which is a little more corporate. It's talking about the nations. It's a warning. We see Psalm 2, verse 1 through 9 says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings on the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. That word, the Lord, is Yahweh. That is the name that God told Moses. When Moses said, What shall we call you? He says, I am who I am. I am the great I am. And against his anointing, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord, another word for God, master, one with authority, laughs at them. He scoffs at them. We see that all these nations are just saying, We don't need God anymore. He's irrelevant to us. Let's cast him off. Does this sound familiar? 
Some things just don't change. Some things don't change. We think that this is a unique time. This time of, of casting God off has been, has been going on for a while. And these nations conspire. And these, nation, these national leaders conspire. And what does God do? He scoffed at them. He says, give me a break. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am the creator God. And he laughs at them. And the fact is, is there, are, there is national and international things that are going on. And they seem very bleak. But let me tell you, friends, God is sovereign. He is in control. One of the places I stopped at on my trip was Croatia. Croatia was a former Soviet bloc country. It was affected by communism and the atheism that surrounds and is the core of communism. And at one time, Croatia was a thriving Christian epicenter for, for the world. But as communism came in, they destroyed all the churches. They destroyed everything, every remnant that could possibly be Christian. They wiped it out. And so after the Soviet Union fell, the Iron Curtain fell, we, we came in there. I came in there with the Navy ship a little while later. And as we came into this country, this once ancient epicenter for Christianity, then wiped out. We came back and it was another, it was an epicenter again for Christianity. During that time of communism and atheism, there was this remnant that was emboldened, this church that was emboldened. And when the time was right, this new epicenter flourished again. You can't stop God. God had a plan and you can't stop him. He's the sovereign God of the universe. And just because we don't get it doesn't mean he's not king. It doesn't mean he's asleep at the will. Sometimes we go, oh God, why do you do, why are you letting this happen? And it's a good question, but as we search our hearts, there could be an air of, I don't think you can do anything. I don't think you are doing anything. But let me tell you, he is, and he will, because he's sovereign. Just because it, it's not revealed to us. We see that a heart of worship submits to the anointed king. Our anointed king, Jesus. Verse 6 says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Verse 8 says, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You see, Jesus is the anointed king and he has dominion over all of the cosmos. And his rule transcends time, space, and matter. And we live in attention of that right now. His kingdom has come, yet it has not been fully consummated, but will be consummated at the end. And when he came the first time, he came as the spotless lamb to take away the sins of the world. Yet here's the thing, when he comes back, he's not coming as the spotless lamb to take away the sins of the world. He's coming back as the king of glory. To set up his kingdom right here, right now. And we worship him, friends. Here, here's the deal. You've heard me say this many times. You worship him when you live in the victory of Christ. Are we living in the victory of Christ right now? Here's the thing. We're not these oppressed people. We worship a king, the anointed king, Jesus. The ruler of the world. It's real. So here's the thing. You ready for this? You've heard me say this before. Spoiler alert. You ready? We win! 
We win in Jesus. That's what allows us to continue on because we know we win. Because in Christ we win. And we live in the victory under the sovereignty of our great king. In a little bit, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. And Holy Communion is a sacrament. It's a gift. And it's a multi-dimensional, multi-sensory act where we get to feel the elements. We get to taste the elements. We get to ponder what Jesus has done on the cross. And this is all about what Jesus has done on the cross. This is about his victory over death. But it's also about something else. It's about his future kingdom. His future kingdom when we'll actually sit at the table with Jesus, communing, drinking, and eating, and celebrating his rule forever. So when you come up today and you take the elements, I don't want you to rush through the elements. I want you to ponder it. If you have to bring it back to your seat, go ahead, bring it back to your seat. And I want you to think about the victory of the cross, but I want you to think about that he's coming back and we live in the victory of his future consummated kingdom. That's what this is about. So I encourage you to truly worship today as we take partake of the elements. Four, we see a heart of worship celebrates the mystery of God's holiness. God is so holy. He's so set apart from us. And I think this, is, this has been missed on, our, on our, our very casual culture. This is how we are. I mean, I'm from California. I'm super cash. I can't even say the word casual. It's cash. And you all know that if I would have a flip, some flip-flops on me right now, you know, like, there's a temptation. I really was a temptation, all right? We have a God that's so set apart. He's so holy. We see that a heart of worship celebrates the holiness of the great I Am, the great God. Psalm 2.10 says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, with reverence, and celebrate or express joy. His rule with trembling. And so we, we see this warning, and he's like, hey, celebrate. The psalmist says, celebrate God with fear. It's, a, it's this reverence, this awe. But also express joy. Be happy and express joy. But also tremble. It sounds almost bipolar of some sorts. Like, my emotions are all over the place. Like, what's going on here? The psalmist is saying, God is so much bigger and holy and set apart than you could possibly imagine. Come to him in all those emotions. But some of you say, I don't like the description of God right now. He just seems too far off. But here's the thing, God is holy. He's so holy that we could possibly imagine. We think of Moses. We think of the Israelites. Mount Sinai. God manifests himself on Mount Sinai. There's all this, this, this thunder and lightning. And the Israelites come up to the mountain. And, and they're afraid. And they fall on their face. And they're, they're trembling. Or we think about God. When Moses encounters uh, God at the burning bush. And what does God say? He says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Or when Moses says... Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. And what does God say? He says, you will die if I show you my glory because I'm that holy. We can't trifle with God. And this is a warning to the nations and leaders that our God is wonderfully good, he's just, he's wrathful, and he's loving. He's all of those things. We also see a heart of worship celebrates the untamable son. Jesus cannot be tamed. 
Verse 12 says, kiss the son. That, that is this, this idea where you would pay homage to a monarch. Kiss the son, pay homage, worship, or he will be angry in a way that leads you to your destruction. For his wrath can flare, out, flare up at a moment. You go, here we go again, I don't like that. His wrath can flare up at a moment? Here's the thing. We cannot put Christ in a box. We like to put Christ in a box. A box that fits, well, our personality. And we say, well, you know, this is the Jesus I like. So this is my Jesus. And it's just an aspect of Jesus. But Jesus cannot be put in a box. Because the moment you put God in a box, he ceases to be God. And we don't want to worship that God. He's no longer God. Listen, these are deep waters. This is the, fi- the finite human being trying to wrap their arms around the infinite God. It's very difficult. It's impossible. Because God is that holy. And I think about Rome, when I was in Rome, and I think about all the, the, the architecture in St. Peter's Basilica and all the, all the pictures and the murals and, and all that stuff. It, it was to picture the sense that God is bigger than we can think. And that was just a person's representation of that. But God is that much bigger. And we think about the Apostle John. The Apostle John was the one who Jesus loved. Yet the Apostle John gave him that himself that, that title, so, but nonetheless, it was a title. And John, towards the end of his life, is on the island of Patmos, he's an old man, and he's writing the book of Revelation, and he encounters the risen Christ, and what does it say that he does when he sees Jesus, the risen Jesus? Does he say, hey Jesus, what's up? And high five him? What does it say he does? He falls on his face, like a dead man. He falls on his face like a dead man because he's that terribly beautiful. So what are we called to do? We're called to fall on our face and worship. Our Lord Jesus can't be tamed and we worship him when we're utterly consumed by the mystery of his holiness. Finally, a heart of worship rests in the wonder of God's grace. Psalm 1 starts off with a blessing. It says, blessed is the one, or highly favored by God's divine grace, is the one. And Psalm 2.12 ends with a blessing. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. We are a blessed people because of God's grace. And we see a heart of worship rests in the wonder of God's common grace. As I was on the ship, I remember standing at the bow of the ship, looking at the Mediterranean Ocean. I just felt like God's presence the vastness of the water. It was like, things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. And God has given us the sacrament of baptism and of communion, but he also gives us these opportunities to worship him, what I like to call sacramental acts. Maybe it's when you're in the backyard. It's a nice, hot summer day. You're sitting on the porch, and all of a sudden, a cool breeze just rose right past your face. And you're just like, this is awesome. Everything's going to be okay. Maybe it's when you go and you hug your kid or kiss them goodnight. And you just hold them just a little bit tighter. And you go, thank you, God, for giving me this gift. It's just going to be it's gonna be okay. Maybe it's when you hug your spouse or your friends or you spend time with someone and you go, 
This is such a gift, God. Things are going to be okay. Those are sacramental acts. And so we worship God in the ordinary. We worship God in the ordinary because He's given us so much. We also see a heart of worship rests in the wonder of God's special grace in Christ. We have been given a special grace in Christ. And Christ is our refuge and our strength and our rock and our fortress. And we worship Him when we stop trying to earn our salvation and rest in Christ. You can't earn. This is grace. This is amazing grace. That's why it's so amazing. Because we don't deserve it, yet God gives it to us. It's something that Christ has already done. And we rest in it. We worship God and we stop trying to make ourselves pay for something that Christ has already paid for. Some of us have baggage. And we go and we say, you know, I should have never done that. And then we just keep paying for it over and over and over again. And we beat ourselves up for it. And God says, my grace is sufficient for that. My grace is sufficient for that. Stop beating yourself up. My son has paid for it. Rest in it. We worship God and we start believing in the efficacy of his goodness. And friends, our God is good. Really good. So 30 countries. 30 countries and it opened my mind to the vastness of the world. And my prayer for us this summer is that we look past beyond our summer plans and what we're going to do, we're going to try to cram into the summer while we have good weather. And as we go and do those things, allow the vastness of God to just consume us so that we can praise Him with the heart of worship. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for how big You are. We can't even comprehend You. We thank you for all the things that you've blessed us with. We deserve none of them, yet you give it to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done on the cross, paying for our sins. We thank you for your grace. Lord, be with us. May you enlarge the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you in the ordinary, so that we can see a bigger picture of you, so that we can taste, so that we can smell, so that we can touch you in our day-to-day. We love you, Lord. Be with us. Help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.